Hi everyone and welcome to Superwoman Wellness. I'm Dr. Taz. I've made it my mission throughout my career in integrative medicine to support women in restoring their health using a blend of Eastern medical wisdom with modern science. In this show, I will guide you through different practices to find your power type and fully embody the healthiest and most passionate version of you. I'm here for you and I can't wait to get started. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome back everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness where you know I am determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. Now this next topic is an interesting one and I know that I am just as guilty of being hard on myself, not very nice to myself and always having that inner critic on. Well, my next guest is determined to change that, not just for me, but for all of us. I wanna introduce you guys to Alexi Pappas. Alexi is here with me today. You may already know her. She's an award-winning writer, a filmmaker, and an Olympic athlete. Her writing has been published in the New York Times, Runner's World, Women's Running Magazine, Sports Illustrated, and so many more. She co-wrote, co-directed, and starred in the feature film, Track Town, with Rachel Dratch and Andy Buckley. Most recently, she co-wrote and starred alongside Nick Kroll in Olympic Dreams, the first non-documentary style movie to ever be filmed at the Olympic Games. Amazing. A Greek-American, Pappas holds the Greek national record in the 10,000 meters and competed for Greece at the 2016 Olympic Games. She lives in LA and she's here with me. Welcome to the show, Lexi. So happy to have you on. Thank you for having me. Well, what an impressive career. And you're probably, how old are you? Do you mind me asking? You look like you're no. like 21. <laughs> so, I'm 31. I'm 31. All right. In the 30s. But that is a career that many people would dream about over their lifetime. So very accomplished. With all of those accomplishments, tell us a little bit about your journey, how you got into you know, your sports component, competing for the Olympics, and then really what motivated you to, to write and direct a lot of what you've already done. Yeah, um, I think sports for me were something I was kind of brought into by my dad. And he, you know, he raised my brother and myself as a single parent after my mom passed away when I was pretty young. Mm. And I think he thought sports were a good way to teach a kid how to fall down and get back up without ever talking about it. Mm. Um, So I think that's how sports came into my life. But I love sports, particularly finding the kind of team element, even in an individual sport. And I think that's also what I really enjoy about filmmaking is that at its best, those are both kind of team sports. Um, So that is how I found sports. I found a lot of sports before I found running um, and running took a while to, to really enjoy, because again, I think it takes having like the right environment and the right community. And that can take time. Well, that's impressive and that's amazing. And obviously to be an Olympic athlete and to hold the national record and, and what you've got and all that other good stuff, it takes a certain amount of like, I'm going to do this. I'm competitive. I've got that edge. Your, your passion and your mission though, is about being kind to yourself. How do you reconcile that? A lot of times we just push and push and push to get our goals, but sometimes in that journey, we're not necessarily very nice to ourselves. Where did that whole thought and that mission come up for you? I think that to in, in order to be kind to ourselves, we have to have um, like a good vocabulary for understanding like what what is going on. Meaning, I 
I suppose it's just like in a dream chaser's nature to be more hard on themselves as a default setting and to be kind to yourself is, is honestly not just a favor, but it's like the only way to be sustainable mm. with chasing a dream um, because it is likely that that someone, you know, a type A or, or someone who's, who's really, you know, determinedly chasing something is less likely to listen to some of the needs or symptoms. And so I think the kind to yourself part is, is as much about like enjoying and having fun in the process as it is about being able to actually get to your goal. Like it's important to incorporate those, that side of it too. Um, but it's not easy, right? I think it's the more, it's the one we have to incorporate more deliberately. How did you, how was your journey? Like, how did you balance or did you have to, did you have to learn kind of the hard way as many of us do about, you know, taking care of us, ourselves, which is a form of being kind to yourself, nurturing yourself. How did you kind of manage, okay, I'm going to go for this record. I'm going to compete in the Olympics and do all these great things versus taking time out to take care of yourself and be, and really kind of silence that inner critic. How did you, how did you do that? Uh, well, I didn't do it uh, for a very long time, which I'm sure is the case with a lot of people. And I experienced what a lot of Olympians experience after the Olympics in this post-Olympic depression. And for me, it, it hit pretty hard because I lost my mom to suicide. And so I was really terrified that if I ever felt anything that reminded me of her, that that it would maybe be this foregone conclusion as to where where I would end up. And so I think I spent a lot of my life trying to be at least on paper, you know, happy, successful, and all these things that I associated with, with health and, and not wanting to die. And then when I had this post-Olympic depression, which is really, really normal for Olympians to have, I just wasn't prepared for it. And I also kind of rejected it because I didn't want that. And so what I needed to learn the hard way is that um, I mean, I need to learn about mental health. I need to understand that like your brain is a body part and can get injured, but then I needed to, to kind of create a life afterwards um, that incorporates that as like a more normal, like my stasis is to have a balance between grinding and being hard on myself and being kind to myself. Um, so I think it was like, I kind of went to the edge of the earth before I figured that out. Um, but I, I've known all along that it's, that it's important. I just, I just didn't practice it as, as diligently as I do now. Gotcha. And what, you know, that whole idea of being kind to yourself, you know, does that look like a practice? Does that look like a ritual? Is there like, we're not pre-wired that way. Right. So how do we teach the yeah. brain and teach our heart and our emotions to, to go there? Is there something that you really advocate for doing? Is it meditation as a prayer kind of what what do you find works really well when we're trying to learn this tool as we're in our journeys yeah so I have a practice with my my husband is also my creative partner Jeremy and we have tried to start doing we like to like really label things and really like make things official whether it's like you know when I'm going on a run and it's just myself I still call it like practice because I like to make it official and with being kind to myself we have incorporated this thing that we call relishing, which is like to take time uh, at any moment in the day. But we often do this at the end of the day to relish or just really talk about what went well and what we're proud of, because it is very easy for us, especially as entrepreneurs, to never kind of pause 
and be proud because there's always more we could be doing. So I think that's something that we've put into play. And I, and I almost like need that at the end of the day. And I think the other thing is that something I learned about sports and, and fitness or whatever is that we, and also I think emotional pain, but with pain, it's hard to remember sensations of pain later in the day or late, you know, a week later, you often kind of forget and perhaps that's a survival mechanism. But the tough part about that is I'll do like a really hard workout in the morning. And if, and if I haven't, um, if I'm with teammates, I'll often like emote around them and be like, Oh, that rep was hard or that workout was super, that was great. And later before bed, I'll, I'll kind of ask myself, like, did I try my best today? Which is always something that's important to me. And if I haven't had that experience with a teammate, sometimes I won't really remember, like, did I try hard? It's like, of course you tried hard. And, and so I've also incorporated emoting, even if I'm alone so that my later self can like, remember how, you know, how much integrity I had. And so I think that's another practice is just saying things out loud because I might not remember how I felt, but I will, I will remember what I said. I've been told that too. It's like, don't forget to celebrate the wins, you know, so much, so many times as entrepreneurs, it's like the next benchmark and then the next one and then the next one. And you can walk around. I've caught myself doing this. Like, oh my gosh, I'm never like going to be successful. And you look back and you're like, wait a minute. Like, what about the 20 other wins that I forgot to celebrate along the way? So I love that idea of just scheduling time to relish and to enjoy and, and be proud of what you accomplished. Why do, I didn't realize that there was a post-Olympic depression. Talk to me a little bit about that. Cause that's probably very comparable to an entrepreneur's dilemma where you get the high and then you have to get back into like grinding it sometimes and you get another high and then you go back down again. What's that all about? Well, I do think, I think it's a very natural thing that after a peak of any kind like whether you're chasing a big dream or or I think I've heard when people have children there's this period of time after and and I'm pretty sure it it begins as just simply an adrenal fatigue where you've just been so singularly focused or putting a lot of physical and mental output and it makes sense that there's this kind of lull or, or this down period I think what is tough is when it's not when you're not aware of it and when you don't think you should be feeling it. Um, so for example, after the Olympics, as many Olympians, I, I mean, I did great. Like I ran out of my mind. I was really happy about my performance, but I had this kind of anxiety and fatigue. And, and I guess the way the world saw me was that I was a superhero and the way I felt was quite different. And so it, it was really challenging to, to not have like a label for what it was, but to know that I didn't feel how I thought I should feel. Um, and I think the thing about the Olympics in particular is that you're not really meant to plan for afterwards. And so when the afterwards comes, you're really, really unprepared for it. Wow. And that's normal, right? Like if you yeah. planned for the moment after, you might never get there. But then when that moment after comes, I think, I think now Olympians are going to be more prepared because they know this exists. And that's partly why I wrote my book, Bravey, just to Mm -hmm. like say that this happens, but I did not know it. And so I was very, very confused, you know? How did you segue from all of this experience into filmmaking and directing? How did, how did that transition happen? How did that become your after? 
Well, I was a performer and did the all the creative work before I was even like a great athlete. So uh, in college, I was like a very in- serious poet and did improv comedy in, in this group at my college that Mindy Kaling was in years prior and Rachel Dratch. So I was very much into that scene and the athletics were kind of a unexpected detour when I became good enough to dream about the Olympics. And so the creative world has, has kind of been with me all along. It just mm-hmm. has had different kind of spotlighting. And um, I think one always supports the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but uh, it certainly helps you in Hollywood to have the, the diligent, I don't know, the, the mindset of an athlete has really helped me um, because there is a lot of you you don't win every race you right. run and that's really normal and I think you know when I came here I moved here more recently people were like it's gonna be a lot of no's and I'm mm-hmm. like oh, I can handle that mm-hmm. you know um and you just show up every day so they they feel like not so different even though they are really different worlds that's so interesting because I think you know I'm a mom and for many yeah. of us like I think about myself even like for people in my world, right? Like we show up, the amount of preparation determines what happened next, right? So we got an A or we got a B or we got a C or whatever it was. And so that idea of no is really hard for any of the academic types, for a lot of the professional service types, mm-hmm. because it's like, but wait, I did, I did all of that. I studied really hard. What do you mean? No. And I feel like uh, there's that segment of the population from my world that does go into depression or does have a lot of anxiety because despite all of this work, they don't see the results. You know, what is it about, you know, what trained you to understand that no is okay. And it's not personal rejection. It's just a step in the journey. And how do we teach that to our children so that they aren't so tied to the outcome all the time? Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. And it, it it's so hard because I, I, I was definitely tied to, to outcomes as like a younger kid, particularly, because it was like an easy thing to see on paper that you had and mm-hmm. no one could take away from you. Um, so well, one, it, it is true that in sports, the best baseball teams lose. Like it is, it is so true that, that losing is a part of a, a healthy, normal process. So I think sports are a good example of like why losing is a part of winning. Um, and with the journey part uh, that you talked about, I guess just the, the great thing to realize is that we don't truly have control over that result and in fact like if we squeeze it too tight it's like squeezing an ice cube where it will slip out and I've tried more recently than when I was younger to just kind of relish and and enjoy that the very it's not because okay it never resonated with me when people were like enjoy the journey I'm like right whatever (laughs) like however something that I've got taken great joy in recently is realizing how much joy there is in admitting that I want something that the world might not expect for me and but really just like admitting it like whether it's to myself or to my partner or to the world and then going after it with like full commitment of someone who is actually doing it because if if you're like pursuing you know, your dream of being 
an apple grower or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're like growing trees, like the, the, whether or not the trees like produce fruit at the end of this, this season doesn't take away from the fact that every step you're taking along the way is that of an apple grower also. Mm-hmm. So I, I am trying to see myself as living the dream while I'm chasing the dream a little bit more because that anybody who's successful in growing apples, for example, would take those same steps. So you are doing it. Wow. And um, there's so much joy in watching yourself do something and, and, and realizing that like the actual result is not entirely in your control, but what is, is like buying into the idea that you are doing it while you're doing it. I mean, maybe you're not going to do it as long as you want to do it because you want to have the next season next, but you still had had a chance to do it. And um I don't know how else to better approach it. And I've been enjoying things a lot more with that approach than worrying about the end because most of our time is spent chasing the dream anyway. So you mm-hmm. should just pretend that pretend chasing like it's already the dream. <laughs> right. Yeah, pretend like chasing the dream is a part of achieving the dream because it is you know I love that I you've had so many golden nuggets here I love first of all we are all dream chasers I know I'm one too and I know so many people out there are as well and and I love that idea because they say that's essentially the law of attraction right the law of manifestation when you breathe and live whatever it is that you are wanting or you think you want you know, that's when the doors really do start to open. And I've been the same way. Like I remember a long time ago, cause I've always had a lot of energy and I've always like, you know, done 50 things at one time. And I remember a dear friend being like, you need to stop and smell the roses. And I'd be like, who's got time for that? You know, like totally dismissing it. You know, it was way, way, way back in my twenties. But like, I think really what we should be saying is not so much stop and smell the roses, but work with the energy around you because what I'm finding is like you chase your dream you do your stuff but if if you're hitting resistance like if you're hitting like a wall every now and then Mm -hmm. I think that's there's a reason there's a message and so work with that Mm. a little bit and understand it because there's a layer of protection in that resistance so one of the things that I've tried really hard to do you know as I chase dreams or chase goals or things like that is like wait okay, why is, why, why is, why is this pushback happening? And then as I dial into yeah. it, I understand that, ah, that there's a reason I really am supposed to go this way, not this way. And so I think the more yeah. tuned in or dialed in you are to that field, and I don't mean to sound too woo woo or out there, but it's very much there. It's a field yeah. of yours. Yeah. It's coming from your heart energy, honestly. And as long as you're dialed into it, I think you can always find the way. And I think going back to your kind of statement, then you're always kind to yourself because you know, when you're hitting up against something that may not be serving you very well, have you been told no and been crushed or, you know, kind of what's happening to you when things don't kind of pan out the way you expected or wanted? Totally. And I think, I mean, I've definitely been rejected and been told no. And I think my response lately has been like, I guess like one of like deep adoration for my yesterday self, because it's kind of cute and lovely to like want something so bad. And it's, I I admire myself in the past when you're like, oh, you like really tried and like you really wanted that. And um, so I, I guess I'm just trying to have that attitude about it. Like, of course you're 
you can be heartbroken for 12 to 24 hours. But as long as I know that I tried my best, I, I'm okay. So I think what, what bothers me is if I really didn't give it my all or if something like, you know, if I didn't have integrity with it, then that would bother me. But if I did and I put it out there and didn't receive back what I had hoped, that's not as bad to me as me not having integrity with trying. I love that. I think there's so much integrity to trying. And I think what happens next is honestly, usually serving us well for the most part. That's what I've noticed, you know? So I think that's a great way. And I think too, for everybody listening, you know, so many times you might be rejected or a business deal didn't go the way you wanted it, or you didn't get the part or you didn't get the show or whatever it is. But I think it's the key is like, if you went for it, if you did your best, it's okay. You know, maybe you learn something in the journey and you're prepping for your next journey. And so there's no reason to beat yourself up. What else, any other last tricks before we leave you in terms of ways not to beat ourselves up? You mentioned relishing, enjoying the wins, anything else that you want to leave the audience with, especially as someone who has competed, who has uh, performed, who's done all these different things, you know, what else could we put into place that's maybe more tactical to force us to really get into this line of thinking? I think a a good type of stubborn is knowing that you're always going to rewrite a challenge, a hurdle, or a rejection in a bigger narrative Mm. for your later self. So I always try to like take whatever situation that that happened that I didn't want and and create a scenario in my later you know in the moments after that will allow me to rewrite why that happened so I'm always trying to stay on my own team and like for example I you know was injured for this marathon I wanted to run a couple years ago and instead of like pulling up in my room and keeping my head down and ignoring everything. I was like, what can I do at this time to make it like even better? Mm-hmm. And I, it's almost like a stubbornness of like, I will win. I will win. And you can manifest that, like you said, and then you know why you got injured. You're like, Oh, that's why. Cause I was meant to make that movie mm-hmm. or whatever you do with your time. And so I think there's some choices we have anytime there's an obstacle or a challenge and the best most useful choice is to create it so that the challenge, the obstacle, the no was like the best thing that ever happened to you. Ah, I love this. And I've got to make one more comment because I'm thinking about all the mental health issues we have nowadays, all the anxiety and the depression and all the stuff that people are dealing with, you know, at, I keep going back to the mom thing. Cause it's such a big part of my life. And I know how I was raised. Was there a way you were raised that created this internal grit almost? Is there something that your family did or is it going through loss that did it? Like what created this like confidence? What created the, I will win, I will rewrite this narrative. I will see this in a larger context. Like what, what led to that? Um, Well, I write it much more eloquently in Bravey, Uh but I definitely grew up with a really, specific environment really my dad was not you know he was a very action-oriented guy and I think that the way that he parented was was really intuitive and it wasn't he didn't handhold me and I think what it taught me was that uh the good news and the bad news is that not giving up works and 
the good news and the bad news is that I can do this myself. So mm-hmm. I think it was a little challenging, to be honest, to feel like I wasn't going to get some of the help that I sensed that my friends were getting from whether it was their moms or other people in their life. Cause my dad was just had to work full time. You know, mm-hmm. he just didn't, he couldn't do certain things, but he didn't ever say I couldn't do it. He just let, I just had to do make things up and do things myself. And so again, it was like a unglamorous and often like felt unfair situation, but I knew in my core that I had everything I needed to, to, to like be the person I wanted to be, but I would have to kind of craft a life, not just live a life. Mm. And um, I think it's like not exactly a childhood that I like wish upon people, but I do think that what was really effective was really, really effective and good. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I talk, I mean, I, I just, I think I got a lot more specific in the book, but, um, in so many words, it was just a little bit of a hands-off approach, but I always had what I needed, you know? I love that because I think that this generation of parents and I might be guilty, but we, we want to provide everything, right? We want to provide the support. And, and I have actually had to learn in the next, in the last few years that just pulling back and hands off and you've got to figure this out has actually worked a little bit better. And I think, you know, I think it plays into the self-esteem and resilience each of us have ultimately, you know, and the reason I asked that question is because, you know, many cultures and many families are raised with really strong work ethics, like work hard, work hard, you know, all that other stuff, but there's a darkness to the work hard, right? There's like this, you know, if you don't accomplish X, then you're this type of person or, you know, or there's some sort of pressure, but, but I think the hands-off approach rather than the push and push and push approach or the over coddling approach is more like, you know, we're here if you need us, but let's have you try to work this out so that you can really find yourself in your own self-esteem. I think that's interesting. And that seems lighter and happier and kinder at the end of the day. Well, I love this conversation. I could keep talking about this forever because I feel like so many people out there, kids, women, even men, quite honestly, all need to learn how to be kinder to themselves, to really silence that inner critic, to really believe in themselves and to know that they can push past whatever it is that's going on. If anyone listening today wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way is to find me on Instagram at Alexi Pappas, A-L-E-X-I-P-A-P-P-A-S. And my book is called Bravey with a forward by Maya Rudolph. And I think it talks a lot about all the things we talked about. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. I appreciate it so much. And remember guys, we're on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, everywhere that podcasts are, and you can rate and review it and share it with your friends. I will see you guys next time. Take care.